Hello and welcome to the Christmas special of Talking to the Top, a podcast made by students for students. My name is Ed. And my name is Freddie. And we will be your hosts. Throughout these episodes, we'll give you an insight into the lives and minds of incredibly successful people in their respective fields, allowing you to learn more about the world that lies ahead of us all, and most importantly, how our brilliant guests got to where they are today. So sit back, relax, and join us as we dive deep into the stories of these amazing individuals, uncovering the secrets to their success and exploring the many twists and turns of their careers. She has an MBA. She is a captain in the British Army. She's broken not one, but two world records, including doing the longest solo, unsupported, one-way polar ski journey ever. She served in Nepal, Kenya and South Sudan, where she was deployed on a six-month United Nations peacekeeping tour. Prior to her South Pole expedition, Preet Chandy completed the Marathon de Sable, an ultramarathon across the Sahara Desert. To be honest, there's not much you can't do. We had a great time speaking to Preet, and so we hope you enjoy this interview as much as we did. So I love looking at your blog. I think it's amazing. Um, and you said on it that younger me did not know what an explorer was. I did not know anything about adventure. And to be honest, when I learned a little, I did not think it was for me. So thinking back to that time, was there a moment that you could pinpoint when you did realise that being an explorer was something that you wanted to do? Honestly, not really, no. Um, you know, when I was younger, I didn't really know much about adventure or exploration at all. And I just didn't really, it's not even that I didn't think it was a space for me at the time when I was younger. I just didn't know anything about it. <laughs> um, and when I did start to learn a little bit about it, I didn't I didn't think it was a space for me. And um, it, it didn't come along till later, really. I think when I joined the army, so when I was 19, I, you know, I saw that advert in Derby City Centre, I started to do more outdoorsy type things. Um, and, you know, started first time I ever went camping was with the army, which is a different type of tent. Um, and that was a bit of a shock to my system at the time, and started to do a little bit more. And I think, being in the army, I then wanted to do more outside of the army and my challenges kind of grew that way and then eventually I knew I wanted to do something big and I just didn't know what that thing was going to be and somebody else mentioned Antarctica to me nothing else just you know what about going to Antarctica and I thought not a chance I don't know anything about (laughs) it and uh, and that was the appeal you know how amazing would it be to go and do something that you don't know anything about to show that everybody starts from somewhere and along with my google search of how do you get to antarctica i started and how do you begin even just physically preparing for such an event like that i think it's all you know all a step at a time so for me literally the beginning was was typing it on google i created polar pre the social media pages and actually i looked the other day i think it was 2019 i want to say my the first post i created on my instagram page my partner created the website for me and i started following literally anybody and everybody that looked like they had anything to do with antarctica and messaged so many people funny enough somebody gave me a contact um of somebody else who'd been to antarctica and i did this thing where i waited because i didn't want to contact 
um, this is an individual who'd been to Antarctica and done some big trips while I didn't know anything. But I wanted, wanted to wait until I'd done a little bit of training and lo- knew a little bit more um, because I didn't want to be that person who was like, I want to go and do this, but I don't know anything about it at all. Um, so it literally is a step at a time after going through Google and um going through all the cruises that immediately came up. <laughs> Eventually I found Antarctic Logistics and Expeditions who do pretty much what they say on the tin. You know, they they are your logistical support out there um, and safety support. And I sent them an email and they sent me back pretty much a, a, a big checklist of things they'd expect somebody um, to be able to have done before going on a solo expedition on the ice. So I started working my way through that checklist. I was suggested going on some polar courses and, and it really was a step at a time. It was it was COVID lockdown um, after I did my first polar training course. And then I was just, you know, um, at work, I'm, I'm part of a medical regiment. So one of our roles uh, eventually became uh, one of the vaccinators as well. And then I would just train in any spare time that I had. And at the start of that journey, it was actually really difficult to see, you know, that that I would get to Antarctica eventually. Like there were times that it was overwhelming and I thought, I don't know I'm going to be able to do this. I don't know that I'm going to be able to get there. And in those moments, I literally just did one thing at a time. I remember I was doing my master's at the time. Um, I was working full time and trying to train for this trip. And if I get overwhelmed, I would literally just take take a break from all of it, half an hour break, go binge watch something on TV <laughs> and and then come back and think, OK, what's what's the main thing that I need to do? You know, do I have an exam coming up? Is it work? Um, what training do I need to do? Um, how many emails do I need to send this evening to try and get sponsorship and try and break it down? So so by making smaller goals, making it seem not so overwhelming and, you know, step by step, I managed to get there. I think if I was doing something like that, I'd be pretty scared about what's to come. And I think uh, the, the it's kind of transferable to, you know, people, the build up to an exam or the build up to, I don't know, submitting something for a deadline um how do you kind of cope with that build up to the uh your expeditions um from a mental uh kind of standpoint rather than just physically yeah I think sometimes I feel quite anxious about it um so I will you know prepare and prepare I am meticulous with my kit um, you know, everything has been weighed out. Everything is prepared. So sometimes I'll go over that a lot of a lot more times, and um, and then I try and have a breather. I try and do something else and take a break from that because it's you, it's difficult. It's hard to um, to sit in that that emotions. Sometimes those emotions. Sometimes I do, and I will try and take a break away from it. Um, I use positive reinforcement a lot, actually. I do that even when I'm on the ice. Um, I tell myself that I'm doing okay. I'm doing really well. Um, that, you know, yeah, I, I used to use that literally constantly towards the end of my last trip. Um, and I am trying to think what else I do in that in those moments. Um, make sure I'm prepared. Make sure I t- I'm taking breaks um, so that it's, you know, mental breaks, I think, as well, what I mean by that. So th- those mental breaks are a way to do what, ever else I want to do that something that isn't focused on the preparation and um 
yeah and then just take it a day at a time so that it, it's not seeming so overwhelming because a lot of the time I used to mark things off in my calendar like three days to go two days to go one, one day to go <laughs> which I do like marking it off but also it can be quite daunting um so I think that the breaks are important and you mentioned your master's degree and a lot of people have like very varying experiences of education some people love it some people find it really difficult so for you personally when you were kind of 16 15 what was that like for you yeah so I am um, I would say on the difficult probably so I um I never felt very academic um I was actually playing tennis when I was younger and going to school part-time so I took only a few GCSEs and I came out with uh, just a few passes I had to retake maths GCSE and I yeah so I didn't come out with very many um I didn't do a levels and at age 19 I then had to do an access course to get onto my degree I remember being told that I wasn't smart enough to go to university and I think when you're a lot of the times when you're told things it's hard not to believe them um um you know by adults or people who you think are um more intelligent than you and you know will give you good, good advice and, and and that was really tough and I remember at 19 I worked really really hard thinking that I was behind everybody else my age you know I didn't have A levels um and I shadowed a lot of physiotherapists I joined the the army reserves part-time army at the time um the medical squadron I was doing the access course, had a job at Burger King to earn some money. And, um, and I remember um, opening the forms online and, and getting accepted into university. And actually it's still one of my biggest achievements because I don't think I believed in myself at the time. And you know what, the first few months at university were really hard, but managed to get in and, and graduate as a, as a physiotherapist. So I didn't find it easy at all. If you'd asked me then if I would continue education and do a master's, I probably would have said not a chance. <laughs> um, but um, but but that's okay. I think it's okay for things to be challenging. You know, that's it's absolutely Same. fine. And people learn in completely different ways. Like I'm quite a practical person, so I enjoyed the um, the clinicals, and you know, I, I found doing exams really difficult and would just have to write things down over and over again and I found actually for me writing them down over typing things was sometimes more helpful I um I do my essays in the middle of the night um just I found it easier to to you know do my work and write my essays at that time and um and I really I enjoyed the clinical placements I found that that's where I I learned a lot um so yeah it it wasn't easy um at the start, it was harder, but it did get a little bit easier. I'm really glad glad that I did it. And I think it's really reassuring as well, because so often it's like perpetuated that there's only like a certain path to get to university or to get this specific job that you want. You have to go through all of these steps in like a certain order. And it just goes to show that that just isn't the case. And you can still be successful and do amazing things and break world records without having to necessarily conform to that narrative. 100%. And it's so difficult, isn't it? Because when that narrative is there, sometimes I don't think you realise that there is a different path to go down. I mean, when, um, you know, when the Antarctica um, idea came into my head, I am... Um, 
I hadn't read Shackleton, I hadn't read Armisen, I didn't know their names, I didn't know anything about them. So, you know, I haven't followed a path that a lot of other people have followed. So when people asked me if I was inspired by them, I would, uh, I'd be like, yeah, yeah, I was hoping they wouldn't ask me anything else because mm-hmm. I felt, you know, I need to follow that same path that everybody else has. But what you said is, is 100% right. It, you do not have to conform. You, um, you know, there's so many different avenues. And I say speak to so many different people around you and, you know, people that have taken different paths and, um, and see which is best for you. So who were your role models then if they were not necessarily the conventional ones people would expect or were you more focused on the more personal and closely connected people around you? I'll be honest with you I think growing up I don't um, remember having any role models but I would say that I'm inspired by a lot of different people I'm inspired by my 12 year old niece every time she pushes out of her comfort zone I'm inspired by the person who decides to do the couch to 5k and gets off the couch because it's hard to do that so um, I was inspired actually when I was doing my access course by the people that had come back to education years and years later because it's hard to do that so I'm inspired by so many different things um people pushing boundaries people you wouldn't expect to do it to you know to do that again who haven't necessarily followed that conventional path so for me I'd say yeah different people inspire me and I don't really you know I can't say when I was younger that there was definitely a role model that I had and, and I wanted to follow that path I saw a lot of people if I'm honest, in my community that I thought I don't really want to follow that same path. And that's okay to have that mindset as well, to think, okay, I don't want to do the same things that other people have done, um, you know, that I'm surrounded by. You kind of mentioned that you didn't want to just break the glass ceiling, you wanted to smash it into a million pieces. When we look at, like, people around us, so many people are fine with just, uh, you know, like, the everyday world and um doing a nine to five job and that's absolutely fine so what do you think sets you apart from everyone else in terms of your desire to push those boundaries and break the you know norms if I'm honest I think everybody has their capability deep inside them it's just whether or not you want it um so it's it was really, really hard. And I tried to be as honest as I can because there were so many moments you think it's too much, I want to quit. And that's where so many people say, okay, this is too much. I, you know, I, I don't want to do this anymore. But for me, what drove me it's is me. knowing that it was about so much more than me. So let's say the second trip, so 70 days alone on the ice was really, really hard. Um, I didn't enjoy one single day of it, if I'm honest. It was, um, and it's funny because I had I had a message in my tent that said, uh, remember to enjoy it. And I rolled my eyes a lot at that message. But knowing that I didn't enjoy a single day, knowing that I didn't even reach my end point on the second trip, I would still do it a thousand times over. Um, because firstly, it was bigger than me. It was more important than me and what is 70 days in a lifetime. Second, it's about way more than that end destination. I have been told a lot when I was younger that I couldn't do a lot of different things, um, whether that was uh, academically. I didn't even tell anybody in my family I joined the army um, for a few weeks. Um, And when I did tell certain individuals, they weren't very happy with what I'd done um, because I was choosing to do things a little bit different from the norm, different from what was expected of me. 
And I think that for me, I was like, well, I want to go and do it anyway. And for example, graduating from university or getting into university, it was quite amazing because I thought people had literally told me that I wouldn't be able to do that, but I did it. So how incredible is that? And if I could do that, what else could I do? And that got bigger and bigger. And I, and I actually, I remember doing different challenges each year. I remember doing a half marathon and a marathon and you know, an ultra marathon. And it, it, it's, you know, there's growth. There's growth in pushing out your comfort zone. And I'm not going to say it's easy to do. It's hard. It's uncomfortable. But you know what? If you can find that little bit of comfort within that uncomfortableness, that's incredible. There's growth there. It really is. And I have learned so, so much more about myself over the last few years, having gone through those, um, those expeditions and the training to actually get there. I think a lot of people would say that 70 days is a lot of time with yourself and with your mind. And for me, uh, I would definitely struggle with having that much time to think. So how did you manage the time when you were trekking and you were walking for such long periods of time? Yeah, that's it. That's a really good question. So I um, I'll be honest, at times it was a bit like a mental prison. So the first trip, I um, it, it's a place where you can't really run away from your thoughts. Um, so for me, some of my toughest thoughts were frustration and anger towards people who made it really difficult for me to get there. Um, and sometimes what actually felt like going out of their way to make it harder. And I really struggled with those emotions, if I'm honest. And, and I remember thinking to myself, I really need to find a better way of working through this because there was no escape on the ice. You know, usually I think we probably distract ourselves. What would I normally do? I would uh, go for a run. I would talk to one of my friends. I would do something else to distract myself. And I found that really difficult. So I would I would try and concentrate on little things. So I'd be putting my left ski forward, then my right ski forward. And I had Dory from Finding Nemo in my head saying, just keep going instead of just keep swimming. I did have audio books as well uh, that I would listen to. And I would try and concentrate on their voices. In the evenings, I would um, I'd listen to voice notes that I downloaded from family and friends. So I had a few of those. And um, and they were really special, actually. I, I'd, I'd listen to those on some tough days. So I hadn't listened to them before I went on the ice. I just downloaded them on my phone. My phone's on airplane mode the entire time. So I tried to do different things. My, you know, I'd look back at my sled. It's named after Simran, my niece. Uh, I wondered if anyone has ever had an, a sled named Simran, an Indian name out there before. Uh, my skis are called uh, Karan and Arjun, who are named after my two nephews. Um, so I had them with me as well. So I think for me, keeping my mind occupied, to be honest, it was a mixture of things. So sometimes I actually did look at that bigger picture. You know, it's more than me. If someone like me can go and do this, I'm, I'm hopefully showing others that they can achieve anything. And it doesn't have to have anything to do with Antarctica. It literally can be anything. However, sometimes when I was finding it very difficult, I genuinely did just put one foot in front of the other. Yeah. As the first woman of colour to do this, breaking two world records for the longest solo unsupported one-way polar ski journey, all of these amazing things, how do you deal with the kind of inevitable responsibility which comes with those? It's, um, so I am so, so incredibly proud. Um, and you know what, it's actually 
quite difficult for me to get there. And I know that sounds strange, but once you've done something, it kind of becomes the norm. You you forget to reflect. You forget, like I genuinely this year, you know, after feeling a bit restless, like, oh, you know, said to my partner, what have I done this year though? And and it sounds crazy because actually, if if my friend was to say that to me, I'd be like, "What are you talking about?" Um, but it's it's difficult, I think. Um, and I and I had quite a difficult period when I got back uh, recovering from my injury, and I was very very frail um, after after this last trip. But um, I I'm incredibly proud. Um, I would say there is responsibility, and for me it's just managing so I have a full-time job in the army I took unpaid leave from the army to go and do this expedition um you know the first trip I came back from it in quite a lot of debt because it's it's not cheap to get there second time I managed to to find sponsors but as mentioned I you know I wasn't getting paid when I was out there so I I still have um, uh, my house mortgage and stuff to pay for when I get back so it's it's difficult it's difficult to manage I find I'll be honest with you, I find it really difficult to manage the social media. I find it difficult to go through the emails, um, the you know, the polar pre ones on the website. Um, and even so when I'm on the ice, I don't see the comments um from my blog because I don't have access to that. So for me, I'm I'm doing a voicemail every day and then I have family members typing it up. And even now, I think going through some of the comments is quite emotional um so it it's finding kind of the right time and space to be able to do that so I think it it takes a while even to realize what you have done and I really hope that you know I can be a good role model um for not just young people but people of any age I think that's the beauty of it as well and people from any background because people will relate to you in ways you don't even realize and you know a lot of people have said to me you'll inspire a lot of young Asian women being an Asian woman of course that's important to me but it's it's so much bigger than that I've been inspired by things that white men have done in which case I see no reason that they can't be inspired by me it's um and and that's reflected by the messages and things that I've received as well so it's um sorry hopefully I've answered your question there I've gone on a little bit (laughs) well are there any of those messages that particularly stand out to you or that you remember yes yes um so after the um, first exhibition I did, I did um, four and a half months of school talks. And um, there was um, a few from schools that I remember. Um, and there was three in particular that haven't left my mind. So one was uh, from a seven to eight year old um, who said to me, um, in your darkest moments, how did you find the strength to continue? I was like, great question. And, uh, you know, I talked about taking it. Uh, a step at a time and and things we've just spoken about um I was asked from same class um if Rosa Parks hadn't done what she'd done does that mean I wouldn't have been allowed to go to Antarctica which again was a really powerful question and um I'm not sure if they'd been learning about Rosa Parks at that time in school but I just said not just Rosa Parks but so many other people too and how amazing is it that now you know, no matter what your background is uh, and what the colour of your skin, you you can, you know, go and do these things and go and do anything. Then from a slightly older stu- student, I think probably 16, um, I was asked how I got to the point that I was proud of the colour of my skin because she wasn't. And that was really difficult to hear. 
I am um, to that you know we had a conversation but it's um I think a lot of the time when you move past something you think that it's better now um so I think that was a really difficult uh difficult one and you know I spoke about the things that um I was proud of my culture and, and you know asked her what what she was proud of and the things that she enjoyed and it's yeah I think they would probably be the the ones that just have stuck in my head really I think that last question is something that I've pondered over as well and thought you know how to I guess a lot of it's education as well um and how people feel um and you know the kind of things that people can relate to and when I've been on the ice or when I do my blog so (laughs) I'm a lot more regular with my posts when I'm on the ice and that's because as I mentioned I'm doing a voicemail every day so it's actually my sister-in-law Sonia typing it out (laughs) um Mm. so I I just need her to manage my social media Mm. full-time so Sonia if you're listening to this but um it's important for me to talk about real issues um and be honest basically because I want people to be able to relate to it um no, because... that family support is great it's really it's really nice to have those people around you and who are happy to help and get stuck in I, I love that support it's it's really 100 percent. honestly without them it, I mean it's you know the person I'm checking into is my partner he writes on the website so after speaking to me he gets to listen to my voicemail and type it out and then it's my sister-in-law Sonia who writes on my social media like without them it yeah it would be incredibly difficult um so their support really does mean everything you were talking about earlier speaking to your friends and saying oh what have I done over the past year and I was looking through all of the stuff you've done and I was thinking guys pretty much only just getting used to being out of lockdown um and you were appointed an MBE one woman of the year and the inspirational award at the women in defense awards so taking all of that into consideration what piece of advice or pieces of advice would you give to people in their teenage years that they can kind of implement now to hopefully one day get to be able to achieve any achievement that for them feels important? So I would say push your boundaries. Don't let anybody tell you no. I might get in trouble for that one, but, you know, reasonable requests. Um, um, You know, sadly, I think a lot of people will project their own fears onto you. And you are so, so capable of achieving anything you want, no matter how big or daunting that may seem. And just take it a step at a time. And also you're not alone. Like however you're feeling right now, you are not alone. Um, I felt very lonely at um, at that age. And I think looking back now, if I could tell myself anything, it's that you're not alone. There's There's other people that are feeling the way you are and it's okay to speak about it. But, you know, if you can do push those comfort zones, because it's um, it's a bit scary to do so you might not enjoy every minute of it, but it's really amazing going through that and coming out the other side. And, and like I said, just realizing what you actually are capable of. Yeah. And you look on Google, you have a quick look and the two main words that really stood out to me when I was doing a bit of research were grit and determination some people really struggle with kind of self-motivating and being able to push through challenges so where would you say that that grit and determination comes from for you 
I think it's come from experience so having been in positions where I'm out of my comfort zone over and over again and one thing I would say about motivation is that people often think oh I need to be motivated I wasn't motivated half the time I did it anyway Um, so don't let that hold you back because when you are motivated to do something it is so much easier to do it and you know look at exams look at are you motivated to study for exams all the time probably not but you know you have to do it so you know you will study for exams Um, are you motivated to go to school every single day you know it's it's you do it anyway Um, so when you're motivated to do something it's easier to to go ahead and do that or train for it or study for it however when you're not motivated to do it it becomes difficult um so do it even when you're not motivated is what I would say there were so many times I wasn't motivated and that grit and resilience is built through that it's um it's built through doing it anyway it's built through pushing out of those comfort zones over and over and over again for me that resilience has just grown it started just um you know I still remember those um those weekends I did with the army early on um sleeping in a field um it absolutely tricking it down with rain being pretty miserable if I'm honest and uh, and there's times when you're sleep deprived you're like why am I here and then you come out of that weekend and I would feel a sense of reward I just did that you know I just went and slept in a um slept in a field for the weekend I got soaked it was a bit miserable but you kind of then forget the miserable bit you're like oh it was actually really cool <laughs> and then you go back and back and then you know obviously I I joined the regular army so the full-time army about seven eight years ago now and the more I I did that in the army the more I wanted to do it outside of the army and it's um it's really incredible please go ahead and whatever it is, it could be a different club at school. It could be volunteering for something. It could be making a new friend. It literally could be anything like nothing, no boundaries too small at all. Have you ever had feelings of failure? Because you've obviously achieved some remarkable things, but I know from previous guests we've had on, they've said that even in the positions they've got to or things they've experienced before, they've still a sense of failure how, how has that impacted you yeah definitely I mean I would say as well that I don't think I'd I'd be where I am if I hadn't failed at things um you know we all know that failing your driving test a few times makes you a better driver actually I shouldn't probably people are taking their tests I probably shouldn't say that <laughs> well that is me I've just uh I passed second time but first time oh, there you are. wasn't as good <laughs> <laughs> well congratulations for passing Thank you. um <laughs> I am. Um, yeah, 100%. So um, this last journey, I was aiming to cross Antarctica, cross the landmass solo and unsupported. So carry all of my kit from the edge of the landmass, uh, one end to the other. Now, I didn't make my end. I was just over 100 miles short. I ran out of time. And what I mean by ran out of time is um, so that the logistics company, I, I was on the last passenger flight out. So if I didn't take that flight, I am. Um, but if they didn't pick me up then I wouldn't have had a pickup flight from Antarctica. I um I lost 20 kilos in weight, uh, fat and muscle. I was rationing my food by the end. I was absolutely starving. Um and I had a few injuries I was carrying, which I didn't really speak about during the trip because I didn't want to worry people, but I had a lot of neck pain and I was last 14 days I had like one uh, pain relief tablet left, which I was rationing and I had um, an injury on my leg that was opening up as well. I had this little voice in my head telling me that you failed pretty much 
for over half of that journey because I was behind the miles that I knew I, I needed to achieve to get to that that end point um, every day and that was really hard um, and it's really difficult to remove yourself from that because it's hard to see the bigger picture it's hard to see um, you know the people supporting me and I remember on checking calls even asking my partner is anybody saying that she's not going to make it she's failed and he's like you know no one at all literally nobody at all but it's hard to remove yourself from that and when I did finish I I did not feel great I um even when the Guinness World Record certificates came I didn't actually open them for probably a month and a half I think they sat in their boxes um and I knew what they were because they come in quite big boxes and it was just this it was hard to to be proud it was hard not to sit in in that disappointment because of course I was disappointed I didn't actually make my end and I I wrote a post on it as well talking about failure and a lot of people comment say you know it's not a failure and I I disagree with that and I think it's okay to say that we failed at something that is completely okay to say that I failed to reach my initial goal because I did and actually if I didn't want to talk about it, I don't even have to. I could say I went out, I got two world records and leave it at that. But I think it's important to talk about it. Sometimes we have to adapt or change our goal. And that's exactly what I had to do. Would I have done that? Did I want to? Absolutely not. No, I didn't want to. I wanted to keep going. I didn't really have a choice actually to keep going. But I think that's a good thing in, in those situations. Like I said, I wasn't in a in a great way. Um, so I think it's good that that wasn't really my decision, but it's, yeah, so I, I 100% felt like a failure then. Um, now, I think it's okay to say that I failed to reach my end point, but I'm also really proud um, of what I did achieve. So yeah, I, I think it's it's natural, I would say, to to have those feelings. Um, and then I failed at loads of things. I went in my training, I failed to cross Greenland, which was my aim. I've, I failed so many different things. And you know what? I think I've learned more from those failures than I ever have from the successes. But it's really reassuring as well, because I think sometimes when we look at successful people, we just see all the kind of glitz and glamour and all of the amazing things that they've done. And at the end of the day, it's really important to remember that everyone's human and that everyone does experience failure in some kind of degree. And so I, when I read your post on failure, I actually, re- like, that was one of my personal favourite posts that you've done because I just thought it was so, so relatable, I guess. Thank you. Yes, I think for me, actually, funny enough, someone said to me, what do you want to be remembered by? And I, I said, I want to be relatable, um, that people can actually relate to me and think, well, if she's done that, then I can go and do whatever it is I want to do. For me, that's probably the most important thing. Mentioning the aftermath of these expeditions, how do you kind of climb down from these huge highs or some of the lows? How do you get back into a normal routine and normal life after doing such a thing? So this last one, um, this year was hard. So I, um, you know, I go back to my job as well, work, and I, I don't think a lot of people realise that I do that because I cannot manage the messages and the emails or, or responding to people, and I find that very difficult. Um, and some people, you know, will be like, "Well, why don't you respond?" <laughs> I can literally, so some of the messages I don't even see or the emails, and I, I find that really hard. It took me a long time to recover this year um, and to feel like me again. 
a really long time and that's not just physically so you know physically I had surgery on my leg um, I had a skin graft on the injury that I had but even mentally it took me a long time to feel like myself and I would say just sometimes again it's concentrating on just you know having the next day the next day I found that I was always able to do interviews and smile and be able to talk about the trip it was more the in-between that I found difficult so the the times in between and this year I was a little bit better at managing it whereas the first year it was it was a lot I did those those four uh, months of school talks are organized by the army and I spent a week in a different region I was doing four to five talks a day um so I was in Northern Ireland for a week East Midlands for a week uh London for a week and, and that was really hard that I I just felt like I was burnt out um and you know having been in quite a lot of debt at that point as well it was really challenging so I think it's it's okay to take a step back um I think I was able to do that a bit more this year um and I think sadly I think the injury helped because I, I couldn't actually move that much so um I, I'm I'm actually glad I had that because it forced me to uh to rest and so many um, people don't they just keep powering through and then it leads to burnout and it can be really yes. bad yeah and that recovery is important I think again you can relate that to anything so think about you know when you're studying really hard for a load of exams and just having that period afterwards is is so important as mentioned not just physically but mentally as well and it's it's really hard to sit in some uncomfortable feelings if that makes sense so it like a bit of restlessness and it's it's not easy to do that but also it's okay to to feel that it's okay it's natural to to have those moments um and I I definitely did and I've had it after both trips and sometimes I just want to sit at my mum's house in my blanket with some uh, nice food and you know binge watch whatever's on tv at the time hindsight is such an amazing tool for so many people and um, and if you could kind of be sat in front of your maybe 16 year old self and uh, tell her maybe one lesson that you've learned or a piece of advice uh, going forwards, what would that be? Um, or would you not tell her anything? No, I would. I would tell her um, that she's enough and that she doesn't need to listen to the people that tell her no. And even though, you know, I didn't, I was so scared. I was terrified of you know, not listening to these people because am I the person in the wrong? Am I doing the wrong thing? Um, so, and and yeah, and that she's not alone, you know, she'll find so many people that she relates to. Um, so yeah, I think that they're the things I would tell her. And yeah. also she's a badass. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And if you could maybe go back and change one decision that you made, um, knowing what you know now I guess is there is there a change you'd make because I know that for a lot of people they think that um you know actually not changing it and letting life pan out as it has is a really important thing but is there something for you that you'd want to do differently if you could go back I think you know it's not that I don't have regrets but also I I like who I am um, and I think that's the reason that I wouldn't change anything um and that's really important in itself as well you know, being comfortable yeah. with where you are. It is. And I and, and that has come over a lot of time. And not to say, you know, I still have the lows. Uh, I still have, have lows. That's completely normal to have. But I like who I am now. Um, and I think because of that, 
I, I don't think I would change anything because I wouldn't want it to then have an offset effect. You were kind of talking about scepticism and pushback along your journey from lots of different people, really. And is there something that pushes you to continue pursuing those goals that makes you think, you know what, I'm not going to listen to that criticism? Because you mentioned how your 16-year-old self was very aware of um, everything that people were saying and actually had quite a lot of doubt. But how do you today go, actually, no, I'm not going to listen to them and I'm just going to keep on powering through? I feel like that the more I'm doing, the, some of the those noises are actually a little bit louder. Um, but on the flip side of that, there's also so, so many people who are inspired by the journeys or related to it. And I think that just trumps it, you know. Um, and, and what I've realised is those other voices are always going to be there. And sadly, there's nothing I can do about that. And, you know, you when we think about what we can control, just focus on what you can control. I think it will be just you know, too much for me to focus on the negatives. Um, they they will sadly always be there. Um, and I don't have to give them space in my mind. Uh, I won't say that's that's easy to do. I think sometimes it seeps in there, but those those people will always be there for their own reasons. And a lot of the time, their voices have nothing to do with you. It says so much more about that person than it does you. They do not define you at all. And at this point in my life, seeing what I have been able to achieve is unreal. Like my 16-year-old self would never believe that I'm here today. They'd be like, what? That person's so cool. So I think um, it's more than them. And um, and I don't need to focus on them anymore. And also, I don't need it to drive me anymore as well. In regards to change, what do you want to see from the future is there a value from your own life that you want to make sure is kept? Especially for students as well, thinking about like how they're treated in the education system. Is there like a change that you'd love to see that would inspire them mm. to push more boundaries? So I would say one of the charities I support, Cars That Aid, their, their motto is recognise the human race as one. And I think that sums up a lot of what I would like to see as a future. Um, I think that there are a lot of people who do not recognise that at all. And, you know, if we can work towards a better future, I would say that we obviously hold so much on education. And I don't think, you know, that's a um, necessity. It depends very much on what you need to do, right? So I needed to do certain GCSEs and I had to do my access course as equivalent to A-levels to get into my degree course to do physiotherapy. So I needed to do that um, to get in and I wanted to be a physiotherapist. But there were so many avenues out there to do so many different things. And I would say like trying those things are a little bit different or new, like they're incredibly powerful and they open up a lot of different doors and also things change you might think that you know what you want to do and that might change as well so trying these different and new things might open up other doors um, and it's okay if that doesn't follow the expected norm and you've mentioned quite a bit your time in the British Army um, what was what's your experience like of the British Army and how has it uh, impacted you not only in like a positive way but has there been any constraints 
Yeah, so I think personally for me, it opened up a lot of different doors. Um, and, you know, part of me has grown up through the army. But having said that, on the flip side as well, you know, it was, it was really difficult to get the time off to do these expeditions. Um, so I have, I've loved being in, I think it's, you know, it, it really did open up a different world for me. I've met some amazing people and managed to do some amazing things, but as I've come into wanting to do the expeditions and adventures, it's not been that easy trying to get the time off work. Um, so I'm glad I joined. Um, I don't know what the future will hold, um, but, and if it's something you're interested in, you know, definitely have a look into it. And if you're not sure about the regular, the full-time army, have a look at the army reserves as well, the part-time army. I was in the, the reserve army for seven years before joining the regulars. And I'm, I'm really glad I did, to be honest. It's been a huge part of my life and yeah, something that I'm, I'm definitely glad I did. Looking towards the future, what do you have in your mind at the moment as to what your next big thing is going to be? Or are you satisfied with where you are and enjoying the space you're within mentally at the moment? I think there's a mixture there. So I I am enjoying the space I'm in at the moment. I, you know, feel like I'm back to being me actually. Um, and I'm back at work full time as well. But also I do feel like there'd be more. So um, yeah, watch this space. We'll see. So thank you. <laughs> You've said that a lot of the time, especially in my community, it's those closest to us who sometimes hold us back because we're doing something that's out of the norm or something that's different. And after your expedition across Greenland, you said, I remember somebody saying to me they've never seen an injury like that on somebody of my colour skin before. That is obviously like such a difficult thing to deal with. And you were talking about your legacy. Other than being relatable, is there kind of a legacy that you want to leave for all of those people of colour and young girls and um, anyone really who kind of looks up to you and sees you as a role model? I think it's just that they can go and do anything, even if they don't see anybody that looks like them in any space they want to be in, then they can do it. Even if every person in their community tells them they cannot do it, I'm telling them they can because there are spaces like that, sadly. Um, but like I said before, people will project their own fears onto you. And at the end of the day, not everybody does want to see you succeed so that you can, you literally can do it. It will be tough, but there are so, so many people behind them cheering them on. Well, thank you so much. We're going to have to let you go, sadly, but I found that conversation so amazing. And we're really grateful that you've made time to come onto the podcast. So thank you very much. Thanks very much. Cheers. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Talking to the Top. Talking to the Top is hosted and produced by myself, Edward Brooke, and co-hosted and edited by Freddie Feynman. It was also edited by James Crawford and the music was created by Daniel Marks.